It is good, brothers and sisters, to worship with you this morning. Uh, before we dive into our text, let me tell you a little story. It was August 8th last year that Lakewood Church made the very dangerous decision to vote and affirm to call me as your pastor. So uh, the Nagel fam family promptly moved here at the end of that month. We came uh, at the end of last August and began serving you in September. And one of the things I knew Lakewood needed was a great deal of stability and security. So for an entire year, I was here every single week. I didn't miss a single service, every special service I was at. Now, I didn't preach every Sunday. There were Sundays where I taught membership classes, and I even took a turn one Sunday teaching children's church, and I found out that they're smarter than me. So it's been a fruitful and busy and impactful year, and I knew that would be the case. So last winter, I made the decision as I pencil out scheduling for preaching that uh, my family and I would take two Sundays off in the beginning of August. It was really sweet to get away. I had my cell phone off for 10 straight days. It was amazing until I turned it back on and all the messages came. And I also made plans uh, as I've been tasked as the senior pastor of this church uh, to have opportunity for our other elders to grow and to lead and to serve and to teach. So uh, the last three weeks, uh, what have I been doing? Uh, the last two Sundays, thankfully, I had the opportunity to senator just the fine teaching of two of our elders, Kirk and Mark, and I will just publicly say that they served our body well. Grateful, uh, brothers, for you doing that. Yeah, I think it's also important to note that I need my kids to see me sit under the teaching of the Word of God and sing along with you. So thank you for allowing me the opportunity to do that. So actually, the last three weeks I've been in the office, and it's been probably the busiest three weeks of the entire summer for me. Uh, so coming back in the last three weeks... Uh, it's been a mixture of ongoing counseling situations, hosting and leading a North Central District pastor gathering here at our church, attending and leading an elders meeting, continuing to lead our staff and attend meetings there, uh, help prepare for the Lakewood picnic, and praise God we had a picnic, and the number we're guessing was about 300 to 350 people that showed up, played, sang, we saw some baptisms, and uh, I, I saw a number of elderly men go in for, I think, like six helpings of dessert. So it was a fine picnic indeed. So uh, certainly uh, the last couple of weeks helped, uh, but I want to thank our staff and our volunteers uh, for being the, the real direction and the, the point of uh, most of the work of that. Uh, I finished in the last couple weeks, my final interview for licensing, I'm now licensed with the EFCA. I continued to lead and help our search team the last three weeks. I came alongside both Mark and Kirk in their sermon preparation. I studied and prepared for fall ministries that we will be engaging and starting in here this next week. 
I studied and prepared for our fall series, which will be in the book of Job. And I tried to have something of a study break where I read uh, some helpful books on pastoral ministry and took an online course in leadership. Because my desire this next year is to be a better pastor to you than I was the prior year. That is, every single year, my aim is to grow as a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve you as a shepherd more and more faithfully every single year. So, brothers and sisters, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to do that. The last three weeks in the office and the last two Sundays sitting in amongst you in the congregation, it was a real aid to my heart, and I trust it will be Uh, a real aid to us as a body. I will say, if there are questions or conspiracies that you come up with, as you see me sitting in the pew or in the office, I'm your brother. Just come and ask me. So, we come to the start of a new school year and a new ministry year, and we're asking the same question that we did last September. I don't know if you remember. I don't remember half my sermons. But last September, we had this sermon in Acts 2 asking the question, now what? Now that the summer has passed, now that we know that Matt has not joined the Witness Protection Program, And now that the Viking season is at hand and many jokes and tears come with it, now what? Some of us more serious-minded may ask, now what? As it relates to fractured relationships, to unforeseen medical and financial issues. There are some here considering Christianity And those who've become faithful followers of Christ, but are struggling with sin, fear, and shame. There are children here asking, now what? As they question family dynamics, friend groups, and plans for the future. By God's grace, brothers and sisters, we've been given a word on this question. The main point I'd like to submit to our hearts this morning is this. Faithful followers of Christ are witnesses. Faithful followers of Christ are witnesses. Now, I'll ask that you grab a copy of the scriptures if you haven't already. And turn to the book of Acts. We'll be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Now, there could be ideas in Christianized language that comes to mind when you hear this, being a witness. You may think of the first disciples witnessing and seeing Jesus after his resurrection. You may think of a generation back when people talked about witnessing and they would knock on doors to share their story of the gospel with those who were far from Jesus. We have some non-biblical examples of witnessing as well. There are witnesses to a jury stand. And there are Nike commercials declaring that we are all witnesses to the self-proclaimed king, LeBron James. I'll have to bite my lip on that one. 
But the biblical understanding of witness that we will cover in our passage this morning has significant implications on your life. Yes, the life that you lead. Whether you are in elementary school wondering what the school lunch is, a teenager trying to figure out your place in this world, a single adult trying to faithfully leverage your time, a dad changing exploding diapers, or a grandma with a lead foot driving across the highway. The life you lead. Your life. The life that God has given you is no accident or coincidence. No matter your season of life, the now what of your life is invariably connected to Acts 1 as you follow Jesus as a witness. So would you read with me, please, as I read Acts 1 through 11. Uh, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority. but." You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, uh, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God. So there are three items from Dr. Luke, our writer, a uh, historian from the first century that I would point out to us. First, we see in our text, God's kingdom, not ours. Now, I noticed, I couldn't help but notice, as I read this passage, no one in our congregation jumped up and down with excitement. There were no shouts of hallelujah. hallelujah. No children started dancing in the aisles. And no manly men pumped their fists in affirmation. And I will say as your pastor, I would like to see more of that. But why aren't you jumping 
up and down for joy right now? Well, I think I can answer that. Most of it is cultural. And some of it is that you and I don't know our Bibles as well as we might think or as well as we might hope. Look again closely at verses 3 and 5. There are two items I'd like to square in on here. In verse 3, we see Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God. And in verse 5, we see Jesus promising these early followers that the Spirit of God was coming to engulf, immerse over them, to baptize them. Now, I have some Jewish heritage in my background. Big nose, dark hair, you can tell. But even so, it's not exactly clear to my 21st century Western American mind what's so amazing here. Dr. Luke, uh, our writer of Acts, is a Hellenist Jew. Many scholars understand Luke to be born a Greek, and he became a God-fearer and a follower of Christ. And the book of Acts starts out as we read, with Luke referring to his earlier work, the Gospel of Luke, and now sharing what he has compiled from first-hand accounts of other disciples. The Apostle Paul does reference our Dr. Luke in the letters of Philemon and Colossians and 2 Timothy of our Bibles. Luke is sharing in Luke 24 and in Acts 1 in our passage what Jesus, a Jew, taught his disciples who were fellow Jews on Jesus' last days on this earth. Now, you might wonder why I bring up their ethnicity. I bring up their culture because every culture has words that are loaded with meaning. I'll give you an example. What do you think of when you hear 9-11? It's not simply just some dates or some numbers, is it? It's a traumatic, tragic event in our American history. What do you think when you hear Bitcoin? I don't know anything about Bitcoin. I'll just nod and say, yeah, yeah, blockchain. Hmm. But when you hear Bitcoin, you, you don't bite a coin. It, it's, it's digital currency. What do you think when you hear Highway 210. Well, you start to cry. You've ridden on that road. See, we have certain words that have cultural meaning to us. They're loaded and they may mean more to you and I than to others from different cultures. In the exact same way. In the same way. When these Jewish disciples heard kingdom of God and Holy Spirit, they got excited. These Jewish disciples were not just followers of Jesus. They had grown up engulfed and baptized in a culture and a tradition that knew the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, very well. So just for an example, take the prophet Isaiah. As one pastor said, in speaking of an event that marks the end of the desolation of Israel and the start of a new age, Isaiah 32 says this, till the Spirit is poured on us from high. Let me give you the summary. The restoration and the kingdom will come 
Isaiah says, when the Spirit is poured out. Isaiah 43, we read in this passage that when the new age appears and the nations gather together, Isaiah says, you will be my witnesses to the new Savior and the new kingdom. Isaiah 49, in speaking of the servant Savior that would come, God says, my servant Savior will come and restore Israel and restore their kingdom and establish that kingdom through all the world and all the people will see that kingdom as a light to the nations. I mean, that's kind of my paraphrase of Isaiah 49. So these disciples in Acts 1 are so excited, jumping up and down, doing the manly fist pump and the childlike dance in the aisles because Jesus came speaking of fulfilled promises from old. The Spirit of God, it was the sounding alarm. Ding, 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 ding. They're excited. It was an alarm that signaled that the kingdom of God was being restored according to the Old Testament. So quickly look at verse 3 again. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of their personal preferences and dreams. Oh, no, that's not what the scripture says. See, here's a diagnostic question for you and I, brother and sister. Are we more concerned and excited about our kingdom or his? Are we living and operating under his rule or ours? Do we anticipate and follow his kingly decrees or with a tight fist demand our own? Well, may God help us. Because I do fear that unlike these early disciples, we often don't find ourselves very excited about the prospect of the kingdom of God. But rather, it's often the kingdom of self. But this leads us to the excited response and the question of these disciples as we consider method. Method, not timing. Read again the question of verse 6. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of God? Now, sometimes the disciples get a bad rap for not understanding some things. But of course, this is the question that they would ask. Of course it is. Didn't you hear? The kingdom of God and the spirit of God are colliding. God promised to restore Israel and the world when these two things touch. And the divine hand of God is dipped into this world and things will be different now. The death and the resurrection of Jesus brings this kingdom in spirit reality. The new garden, the new heavens and the new earth. Of course they asked this question. So, Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Now, the answer to this question in verse 7 seems like the classic Jesus juke. A question is asked, 
And it almost appears that Jesus ignores the question of the timing of the kingdom and basically says, oh, you little silly disciples. Not right now. Parents, you can do this thing from time to time. Or maybe it's just myself and this is a confession. A child comes up to their parents graciously, kindly, respectfully, lovingly, right kids? That's how we approach our parents. And they ask mom and dad if they can have a snack. Order a pizza. Borrow the car. Or download a new app on their phone. And instead of answering the question, mom and dad will sidestep and ask them an unrelated question. Have you done your chores? Is your homework done? Have you flossed today? When was the last time you showered? They don't answer the question. They sidestep the question. My friends, this is not what Jesus is doing with the disciples. Don't read Jesus' response as a sidestep from the question, because I want us to look in a moment very carefully at verse 8. Verse 8 is a direct answer to their question about the kingdom of God. About the kingdom of God in light of the Spirit of God coming. What he does for his disciples and for us as faithful followers of Christ today is he takes our eyes off of the timing of full restoration in the kingdom of God and heaven coming down to earth. He takes our eyes off the timing of it and he puts it directly on the method. Don't worry about when the kingdom of God will come. Worry about how the kingdom of God will come. And you may be aware, verse 8 is the central verse of our passage, and it outlines the rest of the book of Acts. Acts records the historical account of the kingdom of God by the Spirit of God restoring people's hearts and lives in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and, and to the ends of the earth. That's what Acts is. And if you are here this morning, and you yourself are a faithful follower of Christ, it's because you have been reached at the ends of the earth with the gospel. Our community, Brainerd Lakes area, biblically speaking, is the ends of the earth. So if Jesus doesn't want us to concern ourselves with the timing of the kingdom, but the method, what is the method of the restoration of all things in God's kingdom? Well, verse 8, I'll read it again. But you, Jesus says, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God will restore his kingdom by his spirit as he empowers and indwells his people. And as they are witnesses. Like, wait, do, do you see? Do you hear this? The timing isn't primary to Jesus. The method is primary. Every generation falls into the trap of asking the same question that the disciples asked in verse 6. Lord, will you restore your kingdom at this time? 
That's the question. They asked it, and so do we. We might say, well, God, I've been reading the newspaper clippings. That's a really old phrase. (laughs) I think people still do that. Twitter, probably. I've been reading the newspaper clippings. Things seem bad out there. When will rest come? When will heaven come? When will things be made right? When? Timing. When? And truly, every generation is a slave to the moment and thinks things are so bad like never before. And they start worrying about the timing of the kingdom. So whether it's the sexual revolution and the tension of civil rights in the 60s, Watergate and the controversial reality of the Vietnam War in the 70s, the AIDS crisis, concerns of communism and the stock market collapse of the 80s, the Columbine shooting, L.A. riots, and presidential scandals of the 90s, Hurricane Katrina and terrorist attacks of the 2000s, or racial, sexual, and political unrest of our day today. Faithful followers of Christ have always looked out at the world that they live in, and they've asked that question of verse 6. God, is it, is it this time? Will you restore your kingdom now? Will you return now? And Jesus' answer is the same. It's not for you and I to know the times and seasons. Turn your direction rather to the method in which I will bring about my kingdom, he says. And that method, that method is you. You. You're the method in which God will restore his kingdom. You will have my spirit in you, he says, and you will go out and live your life, the life I've given you as a witness to me and my gospel and my kingdom. Being faithful to God is centering in on your calling to focus on the method to let God be God and let him worry about the timing. So here's the follow-up question, though. What exactly is a witness. Do I need to start watching LeBron James or knocking on strangers' doors? And perhaps the answer to both of those is yes. But the word witness is literally the same word as martyr. When someone was killed for following Jesus, when someone was a martyr, their life and their suffering and death was a witness and a proclamation of their faith in Christ. Now, there are certainly many literal, faithful martyrs throughout church history and today in other places. And I would encourage you to subscribe to the ministry resource called Voice of the Martyrs and pray for your brothers and sisters all over the world who suffer today. But God isn't just calling for your faithfulness and witness to Him in the face of suffering and death. God is calling for your life to be a witness, a sacrifice, and a proclamation of Him. Not just in death, but in life, in your life, 
in the life that he's given you. So as you go to work, as you eat, as you play and rest, as you hurt and suffer, as you cheer on your heroes, as kids you study in school, as you drive, as you make friends, as you gather with your church family, your life is the means and the method in which God attends for others and his kingdom and the world to be restored. As you live proclaiming Christ, others will see and hear and believe and follow. That's the method. Which leads me to our last point. Purpose, not comfort. I can't help but chuckle a little bit as I read verse 11. (laughs) Go ahead and look at it again. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Jesus leaves the disciples and they stand there gazing up into the sky and suddenly two angelic figures are standing next to them. Uh, hey, hey guys, they turn to him. What are you looking at? What are you doing? Don't you have something to be doing right now? Don't you have a life to live? A life that is the method in which the kingdom of God is to be restored. Sometimes, sometimes we need some helpful angelic figures in our life that push us to stop gazing and start living with purpose. Too often, well-meaning, faithful followers of Christ find themselves in the same exact position. And churches notoriously struggle with this. We gaze. We are creatures of comfort. We receive some teaching, some information, some doctrine, some biblical data, and yet our feet stay still. One of the reasons brothers and sisters, that you were not beamed up to heaven when you trusted in Christ. And one of the reasons that you've been given the Spirit of God to live in you and empower you is because you and I have a larger purpose than just ourselves. We are part of the method and the restoration of the kingdom of God. Your identity And purpose is so much bigger than the temporary feelings and preferences that we are drawn to sit and gaze upon. No, your identity is in Christ. Here at Lakewood, we fundamentally believe in these scriptures. Our declared purpose is to reproduce faithful followers of Christ. You may have heard that over the past year. We believe the mission of our church and the mission of our lives is to fulfill Acts 1. That's what the scripture says. So we live our lives, we spend our money, we schedule our time to do this. Except when we don't. Except when, like Israel, we forget what God may have called us to do. Or we've allowed the temporary things of this world to distract us. And that is why we are laying out a tangible vision 
that will help us have categories to be faithful to this calling as a church. Uh, you have a bulletin insert behind your sermon notes, and I'll put it up on the screen right here. Lakewood's 111 plan. Oh, it's so simple. 111. We are asking as a body of Christ, and especially those who have covenanted with us as members of Lakewood, we are asking you to commit to our mission of reproducing faithful followers of Christ, to adhere to our core values of being shaped by biblical living, being committed to relational community, and being compelled to intentional outreach. By God's power, we will be witnesses in the life that we lead. So here's the ask. Three hooks. Gather, serve, and invite. Gather. Commit to being part of one small group a month. I don't care what it is. If it's a community group, if it's a Wednesday night group, if it's a ladies tapestry group, if it's a guys that if it's a couple guys you get together with and pray and talk about the scriptures and laugh about the Vikings, that's a group. Be a part once a month at least of a small group. Being shaped by biblical living is gathering together and speaking truth, uplifting equipping one another. But the second hook is serving. Don't just commit to be a part of one small group a month. Commit to serving one time a month. Oh, and there are so many different ways to serve. Kids, can I give you an assignment and a task? Kids, would you please ask your mom and dad if you can officially or unofficially serve as a part of our welcome team? You are so much nicer and prettier than the rest of us kids. If you would simply say hello and shake someone's hand as they come in, that's service. And we have people here who serve on a coffee team, who set up chairs, who hold babies, teach classes. There are so many ways to serve. Would you commit to be a witness and to serve one time a month here at our church. And I'll share two particular needs that we need for this fall. We have a need for someone to say, I will serve one time a month in our children's church during the second hour. We have a need for someone who will sit back there and make sure my mic is turned on and push a button one time a month so we have audio because I, I, I just don't have the energy to scream. Serve one time a month. But third, invite. We're not just asking you to gather once a month, to serve once a month. Commit to one spiritual invitation a month. Once a month, invite someone to consider Jesus. Once a month, invite someone. Would you like to hear my story? Would you like to come over to my house? Would you like to visit my church and be a part of what God has done and is doing in our life? One spiritual invitation a month. Will you commit, brothers and sisters, will you commit or renew a commitment to this calling? Will you leverage your life with us as we are faithful followers of Christ in our day-to-day -day life? Will you help us as we aim to be and to reproduce 
faithful followers of Christ. As we said, faithful followers of Christ are witnesses. And that is our aim. In the life that you lead to witness to the power, the authority, and the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're willing to commit to the call of Jesus, and if you're willing to commit to the call to be a witness in the life you be given, that you've been given, your particular life, if you'd like to commit to this, before we pray here, would you stand with me and commit to this publicly? Pray with me. Father, as we stand, what we are saying is, God, Acts 1 is the calling of our life. And thank you that the calling on our life, it doesn't have to look a particular way. But it does call us to witness the Christ, to what he's done in us and through us and what he is doing in human history. So, Father, as faithful followers, would you help us to commit, to gather, to serve, and to invite? Not for our glory, not for our fame, but for the glory and the fame of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So uh, I'll ask those who are serving communion to, to come forward at this time. The first Sunday at Lakewood traditionally has been a Sunday in which there's kind of a renewal of a commitment, whether you realize it or not. You see, the first Sunday of every month, there is kind of a spiritual recommitment that happens when we take communion. Because what we are doing in the midst of communion is we are remembering. We are remembering the work of Christ we are remembering that his body was broken on our behalf. His blood was shed so that we would know the forgiveness of sins. But it doesn't just stop there, does it? The remembrance of what Christ has done for you and I is also at the same time a remembrance of the life that he's called you and I to. It's a remembrance of Acts 1. It's a remembrance that I've been given the Spirit of God, not just to seal me for a someday heaven, but to leverage my life for His glory and my joy. So, brothers and sisters, as you partake of communion, as you remember what He's done, remember what He's calling you and I to. Brothers, Jesus, in his kindness, knew that you and I would be faithful followers of Christ who struggle, who at times feel as though the Christian life is one that's merely theoretical. And he knew there would be times where we'd be dry and that we would doubt and that the Christian life didn't seem tangible to us. So one of the reasons in which we've been given communion, because it's a physical, tangible reminder of what he's done and what he's called us to. So as in a moment we take this bread and you feel it go down your throat and you sip this little juice, and I think they had a cup just like this at the first Lord's Supper, 
as that juice touches your lips, it, you, you taste it, you feel it. It's tangible. God has given us a tangible reminder. So, that evening, with his friends in that upper room, Jesus took the bread and he said, My friends, this is my body, which will be broken for you. Eat this, do this in remembrance of me. And in a same way, in a mysterious way, he took the cup and he said, That cup, that juice, that fruit of the vine, it represents my blood that will be shed for you, for this this completing of the new covenant. Drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Short prayer. Father, thank you for something tangible in a life where we're often convinced it's not real, it's not tangible, and our, our faith wants something real to grasp upon. So would you help us as we observe communion? Would you help us even as we sit under Acts and consider the calling on our life? Would you help it to be real and tangible for us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.